0: Good morning again and welcome. We are so grateful for your presence. Thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day and we are thankful for the opportunity to assemble, to worship God and to enjoy fellowship with one another. If you're visiting, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for coming our way. We'd love to have you come back. We're grateful for all the visitors that we have from week to week. Some have chosen to place membership here, become a part of the work. And we're grateful for that. If you're looking for a church home, listen, our doors are open. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our work here. We're going to be looking in our study today at Daniel chapter 6. I want to invite you to look with me at Daniel chapter 6. This is probably one of the more familiar texts in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 6. In our study today, we're going to be talking about the non-negotiable I want to begin today by asking you a question. Is there anything in your life that you absolutely cannot live without? Think about that for a minute. Is there anything in your life that when it's all said and done, you can't live without? I think that's an interesting question. In Daniel chapter 6, what we're going to find out, there was something in the life of Daniel the prophet that he couldn't live without, no matter what. There was something very special in his life that meant more to him than physical life. So I want us to think about that for a moment or two. I want to begin by talking about the testing of Daniel. As we begin our study, I want to just very quickly remind you, Daniel at a very early age, some would say somewhere between 15 and 17 years of age, was one of the Jews who was carried away into Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar was the mighty king of the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar had carried the children of Israel away into captivity as God had foretold through the prophets in days gone by. For seventy long years God's people would remain in a foreign land. And Daniel was one of those exiles. Daniel, as you remember, rose to prominence in the court of the Chaldeans, became a very special statesman in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, we read of the downfall of the Babylonian kingdom. In other words, that kingdom comes to an end. And it's interesting to note the kingdoms that rise and fall over the landscape of time. Babylon was a world power. And God used, the Nebuch- God used a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar to punish or to judge ancient Israel. So then we come to chapter 6. And the Medo-Persian Empire is now in place. Darius the Mede is now the one who is controlling the land. And since Babylon has fallen, and Daniel was prominent in the court of the Chaldeans, we find that Darius the Mede puts Daniel in a position of power. Daniel is now an old man. Some would say that he may have been anywhere in the vicinity of 90 years of age. Whatever the case, Daniel has seen a lot. He has been utilized by God in a great, great way. And so as we think about his position, not just in the court of Babylon, but now in the court of the Medo-Persian Empire, Daniel is selected by Darius to be a man of power, a man of great responsibility. And so we read of his exaltation. And really the record reveals to us the evaluation of Daniel was such that he is identified in chapter 6 verse 4 as a man who was faithful. He had an excellent spirit in him. I think that Daniel would have stood head and shoulders above a lot of people in his day and time. And what's really interesting is when we talk about the kingdoms and the politicians that come and go in time, Kingdoms and politicians do not thwart the purposes of Almighty God. Now granted, God can use nations and politicians to accomplish His will. But His will is not dependent on their wisdom and their might. And so as we think about the position of Daniel, he is spoken of as a governor. There were 120 satraps, and these men had both civil and military power. And they would be answerable to Daniel, the great prophet of Almighty God. And so there is a plot that's hatched by his peers. I really think the reason for their plot was they were jealous of him. They recognized that Daniel was a very special individual, a man of renown a man that had been looked favorably upon by world leaders. And so with that in mind, note, if you would, their reasoning for their plot. Look at verse 5. They said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now listen, there are a lot of things that we could say about people. But these men were savvy enough, wise enough to realize the only way that they could bring about the the downfall of Daniel the prophet was to somehow pit him and his faith in God against the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's exactly what they did. Now let me just ask this question. You know, we talk about the fact that we belong to God. I think it's important for us to remember who we are, and not just who we are, but whose we are. We belong to God. We have, as the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, been bought with a price that is the blood of Christ. If the laws of our land were to change and Christianity became outlawed, would there be enough faith in you to be convicted by a court of law. In other words, if you were to be apprehended and someone were to say, you know what, he or she is a disciple of Jesus. They are a follower of the way, as Luke talks about in Acts chapter 9. Would there be enough enough evidence to convict you as a child of God, a person of faith? There was plenty of evidence to convict Daniel, of his faith in God. And so they appealed to the pride of this king. And what they really said was, if anyone makes a petition of any God other than you, over the space of 30 days, then he or she is to be thrown into a den of lions. They appealed to his vanity, didn't they? And so here is this king And by the way, he had deep respect for Daniel. And after he realized what he had done, and that ultimately Daniel would be thrown into a den of lions, he regretted his actions. Pride can be a very bad thing in life. And so these men appealed to the pride of the king. But I want you to note with me, if you would, for a moment or two, in the second place, the testimony of Daniel. Now, this edict has been signed by the king. The law of the Medes and the Persians was something that wasn't subject to alteration. In other words, once it became a law, it was a law. So with that in mind, let's just talk for a minute or two about the conviction of Daniel. Look, if you would, at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. In his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. As was his custom since early days. Now, let me just give you some background information here. Go back with me if you would, and note with me the book of 1 Kings, chapter eight. In 1 Kings, chapter eight, we have Solomon dedicating the temple, and you remember God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle, according to Exodus chapter forty. Matter of fact, in the latter part of chapter forty, two times it said the glory of God was present in the tabernacle. God's glory would now reside not in the tabernacle, but in the temple. The temple that was located in Palestine or in Jerusalem. And so in his dedication of the temple, as recorded by the writer here, note if you would, in verse 28, Solomon said, regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place, and may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray toward this place, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, And when you hear, forgive. Now drop down if you would and look at verse 46. Solomon now is going to speak to the future. When God's people would transgress His commands and would be taken into a foreign land and be held captive there. And so in verse 46 he said, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to the land of the enemy far near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive, and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We've committed wickedness. When they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of their enemies who led them away captive. And pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions, which they have transgressed against you. And grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them. Now this is the background to Daniel going home, opening his windows toward heaven and praying to the God who created all things. And this signified his relationship to God. And out of 1 Kings chapter 8, we find the background to Daniel's prayer here. Now I mentioned a moment ago, his conviction. Daniel was a man of great conviction in Almighty God. And that's reflected all the way back in his youth, back in chapter 1, when he would not defile himself in any way with the king's dainties. And so, that being said, I want to just talk for a minute or two about the foundation of his faith the foundation of his faith in prayer. Listen again to what the record says. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room. With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Daniel was a man of deep conviction, as I mentioned a moment ago. His prayer life was such. that he could see Him who is, as the Hebrew writer talked about in chapter 11, invisible. He had that kind of faith in God. Now, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen as yet. Faith gives substance to that which we can't see. And here is Daniel. Demonstrating his devotion to God and his communion with God or his relationship with God. Daniel is a man of such great faith, but he sees him who is invisible. Is that the kind of God that you serve? Do you see God in heaven sitting upon His throne reigning today? God in heaven is just as real And He is just as alive and well as we today. Do you have that kind of faith? Think about also not just the foundation of His faith. And this faith had been something that had been building over time, hadn't it? This wasn't something that just all of a sudden occurred out of nowhere. Daniel had been a man of faith for years and years and years. And so he had been continuing to build upon that foundation of faith. Now the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The problem with those of us sometimes in Christianity is we're trying to walk by sight not by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. When we have the kind of faith that Daniel had, we see Him who is invisible as Moses did, as recorded by the Hebrew writer in chapter 11, verse 27. We have the kind of faith that sees the unseen world. So what about the focus of his faith? The Bible says he knelt down and gave thanks before his God. That was the focus of his faith. And really when you look at the life of David, or rather the the life of Daniel, what was it that was central to his life? It was God, wasn't it? What is the focal point of your life? I mentioned a moment ago, if we were to live in a country that began changing laws that were no longer favorable to Christianity, and we were to be found in violation of the law of the land because of our worship and service to God, would there be enough evidence to convict us There was enough evidence to to convict Daniel, wasn't there? Daniel was a man who had a foundation in his life. That foundation was his faith in Almighty God. The focal point of his faith was, again, Jehovah God. And then the fervency of his faith. The Bible says three times he knelt and prayed to the God of heaven. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 55 Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. So here's a man who demonstrates a fervency for Almighty God. In other words, there was this spiritual dimension in his life that what Daniel is saying is I can't live without. That's where we need to be in our Christianity. We need to reach a point in our life when the non-negotiable is our faith. We can let everything else go, but our faith in Almighty God is not up for negotiation. Now I want you to think about something else. We talk about the strength of his faith and the steadfastness of his faith. But I want you to think for a moment or two about the courage of this man. Daniel made the decision to pray to God before this command was ever in place. Why? Because it was something that was characteristic of his life. And I don't think that Daniel is opening his windows toward heaven and praying so that people might look at him and think, you know what, he's showing out. I don't think that's the case at all. But I do think that Daniel was an object lesson to other Jews in that day and time of his faith in Almighty God. He is actually doing what Solomon said they were to do back in 1 Kings chapter 8. And so other Jews in that day and time, they could have seen Daniel praying from his room and that should should have inspired them in their faith to God. Because you see, Jerusalem or Palestine signified in his mind the presence of Almighty God. So he was a man of great courage. He made the decision to pray before or despite the command. And not just in spite of the command, but also in spite of the consequences. He knew what the consequences were. If anyone violated the law of the Medes and the Persians, what would would happen? God said, I want you to be faithful to me. That theme runs throughout Scripture. The law of the Medes and the Persians, however, said that if you pray to any God or any other person besides the king, what's going to happen? You're going to be thrown into a den of lions. So I want to ask you, do you have that kind of faith? Daniel knew of the consequences that if he were found guilty, he would be thrown into a den of lions. And yet, in spite of that command, what does he do? He does what he has always done. He begins to pray to the God of heaven and earth. How many times do we make decisions in life based upon possible consequences? You want to talk about a strong faith? You want to talk about somebody who said, you know what, here's something that I can't live without. And you know what that something was? It was his faith and devotion to Almighty God. As a member of the body of Christ, do you have that kind of faith? You know, sometimes we talk a good game, but actions speak louder than words. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 that we're to be faithful unto death, that is, in the face of death. Would you be willing to do what Daniel did, knowing that it would cost you potentially your life? Would you do that? Before you sign on the dotted line and say, yes, I would, let me ask this question. Up to this point in time, is your life indicative of someone who would die for his or her faith? Do you have that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith that Daniel had. And so when you look at this, and you know, we talk about children's stories. and Many of us have heard this story from the time of our youth. But this is more than a story. Here is Daniel in a foreign land, and he has become a light for God in a pagan land. When he rose to prominence in the court of the Chaldeans under Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you what, he was a light for God in a darkened world. Let me give you an example of another person, Joseph. Joseph was a light for God in the land of Egypt, wasn't he? You remember in chapter 1 of the book of Exodus, the Bible talks about the children of Israel, they're in servitude to Pharaoh and the people in Egypt. And Moses in recording that said, in those days there arose a new king in Egypt who knew not Joseph. In other words, he didn't know the God of Joseph. Israel was to have been a light for God in a pagan land. What we have now is the reign of the Gentiles. The southern kingdom, they've gone into captivity. Let me me tell you what, they're, they're going to come back out of captivity. But they will not have another king sit on the throne in Palestine. They're going to be governed by the Gentile kings until God establishes His spiritual kingdom as recorded in the New Testament. So here's a man of great courage, A man of deep conviction. And what do you see? The foundation of his faith. That was God. The focal point of his faith. Again, it was God. The fervency of his faith reflected in the fact that here he is in spite of the command, in spite of the consequences, he is praying to God as he always had prayed to the Lord. Let me just say this very quickly. If you're not developing a strong faith in your life, when tough times come, when persecution or tribulation arise, if you don't have a strong faith, you will not get through it. You won't. You know, there have been a lot of folks over the past 18, 19, 20 months who have gone back into the world. They didn't have the kind of faith that could have sustained them through tough times. We live in a world of trial and trouble and temptation, and difficult days will come. There are more difficult days on the horizon. Why? Because that's life. That's the world we live in. So I think the important thing for us to remember is we've got to begin laying a foundation of faith. Our faith has to be in the God of heaven. I can't see God. I can't touch God. I can't audibly hear God, but I can have the kind of faith that Daniel had that sees the unseen, and it is just as real as this building right here. Is that the kind of faith you have? If you don't have that kind of faith, I want to encourage you to begin developing the kind of faith that will set you apart from the world. Now, we talk about non-negotiables in life. I have jokingly said in days gone by, and I guess maybe there's probably some truth to it, that of all the books and things that I have accumulated over the years, now there are some personal effects that That I have accumulated that mean a great deal to me. I wouldn't want to let them go, but if I had to, I could let them go. But there's one thing I can't live without. I can't live without God and His Word. Can you? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness sake. I want to encourage you to develop and to expand upon the faith that you have. I have no idea what the future holds. I know the one who holds the future, that's God. But I know this, that if push were to come to shove, and we were to be instructed to renounce our faith or die for the cause, the Bible says we've got to be willing to forfeit our life. Remember Jesus talked about those who gain their life will lose it, and those who lose their life will gain it? That's the idea right there. So, introspectively, evaluate your faith. How strong is your faith? Peter said we're to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a correlation in the strength of your faith and your knowledge of God's Word. When you understand the Word of God and you understand the world in which we live, then you're ready to meet the difficulties and hardships that come in this life. There are no promises to us that we're going to escape the trials and tribulations and temptations of life. That's not not a reality. They're coming. But we we have to have the kind of faith that will sustain us right now as we speak. Your faith says something about you. Daniel is communing with God on a regular basis. Why? Because that was his life. And until Christianity becomes our life, we're not where we need to be. It's not about do I have to do this? Do I have to attend Bible study? Do I have to come to worship? It's not about, I mean, look, that's important. But when your faith is what it ought to be, those are given. That's something that you do automatically, just like Daniel did. Daniel is praying to God because that was what his life was about. And really, prayer is an expression of our devotion and communion with God. Look at the time Jesus spent in prayer to God. In Mark chapter 1, the Bible says He rose early one morning went out to a solitary place and prayed to God. In Luke chapter 6, the Bible talks about Jesus spending the night in prayer to God. Well, what did that prayer life of Jesus signify? It said something about His relationship to the Father. And if you don't have a strong prayer life, and if you're not spending time in communion with God, then you don't have the kind of relationship you need. Prayer is an expression of who we are and whose we are. Daniel was a man of great faith. He was a man of conviction and a man of courage. And I really believe in the church today, those are two traits we need above all. We need some conviction. And we need courage to do what's right in the face of potential hardship or trial. Go back and look at the first century Christians in the Roman Empire. There were folks that were being put to death for their faith in the Lord. And yet Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy the body, but afterward can't kill the soul, but rather, here, let me tell you who you need to fear. Fear the one that can destroy both the soul and body in Gehenna, in the hell of fire. And the picture there of Gehenna was a place southeast of the city of Jerusalem. It became a garbage dump but it was a place where the children of Israel had offered their children to a pagan god. It came to symbolize refuse and garbage because it was just a place that perpetually burned. So what about your faith? There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly in our study. It has to do with the triumph of Daniel. Now, what about his critics? Well, you know what? When Daniel violated the law of the land, they seized the opportunity, didn't they? Accusation was made to the king, apprehension of Daniel. And the Bible tells us, and you can read it in chapter 6 Daniel is thrown into the den of lions. So, what about his conquest? There's some things I think we ought to think about here. When Daniel was placed in that den of lions, who was with him? The presence of God. He didn't go into that den's line alone, did he? No, when he stepped out into that dangerous cell, God was right there with him. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Paul was in prison. And Paul said, the Lord is at hand. You know why all was well in the life of the Apostle Paul? Because he believed in the presence of God in his life. Whatever you face in this life as a child of God, to understand God will stand by you and God will stand with you. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Then he asked this question, what's your man doing to me? That was really the attitude of Daniel, wasn't it? Don't mean the lion's den. If the lions kill me, then so be it. But my faith in God is such, I will not compromise. I will not concede my faith under any circumstances. So we have not just the presence of God, but the power of God. You remember in verse 22, Daniel said to the king, after he had spent a restless night worrying about his statesman, he said, my God, note if you would, the personal relationship that Daniel had with God. He said, my God, is that how you live? When you talk about your relationship to God, is it my Lord, my God? That's the way it ought to be. Remember Thomas in the long ago, my Lord and my God? If you have a deep and abiding relationship with God, it is personal. As I said a minute ago, you can't see God, you can't touch God, you can't audibly hear Him, but He is just as real as the world in which we live says something about the power of Almighty God, His presence, His power, and then His preservation. He said, My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before Him. And also, O King, I've done no wrong before you. The text says in verse 23 that the king was exceedingly glad I mentioned a moment ago that Daniel became a light for God in a pagan land. Listen, we live in a culture today that in many respects is at war with Christianity. We live in a darkened world of sin. And the Bible says that we are to be a light for God in the world in which we live. Are you a light for God? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in the long ago, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Listen to him, walk as children of light. The world is engulfed in spiritual darkness and we are to be a light for God in a pagan world, in a pagan nation. You remember the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, talked about how they were to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. That's the world we live in. Crooked, perverse, sinful, darkened, yes. But he said, Among whom you shine as lights. So, what about Daniel being a light for God among the Medes and the Persians? Well, listen to what. The king said, verse 25, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before, listen to him, the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and the earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? When Daniel was delivered from the mouths of the lions, that said something to the king, didn't it? And This king steps back and he praises the living God. That's how we want to live. We want to live in such a way so that when people see us, they see a light for God. This week, as you go to work, as you associate with friends and neighbors and family members, in your daily activities, will people see in you a light for God? If people can't tell a difference, Between you and the world, there's something not right in your life. Daniel is a great lesson for everybody. This is much more than just a children's story. And you go back and you look at God and His dealings with pagan nations. God was interested in Gentile people, wasn't He? The children of Israel were to have been that light for God among pagan people. And God wants us to be His light in this world. So what about you? If I were to ask you to name three things that you couldn't live without, what would they be? For a lot of folks, they'd say, well, you know, I I can't live without my family. Some would say, well, you know, I can't live without and you fill in the blank. Others would say, I can't live without this. Daniel would say, I can live without any and everything, but let me tell you what I can't live without. I can't live without God. That's not up for negotiation. And that's the kind of faith that we need. That's the kind of faith that will ultimately bless our lives if you're here today and you're not a Christian to know that the God of heaven is interested in you and your spiritual condition right now God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth once you become a child of God through faith in Christ repentance of sin baptism into Christ, you're placed in the church. And the exhortation is to be faithful until death and unto death. Look, there's a lot more to Christianity than just showing up on Sunday morning or Sunday night. That's important, yes. But it is a day in and day out endeavor. When I get up in the morning, I'm a Christian. When I go to bed at night, I'm a Christian. When I come to the office here, I'm a Christian. When I go out into the world again, I'm a Christian. Why? Because it's who I am. And it ought to be who you are. If you're here today and your faith is not what it ought to be, and you don't have that Strong and abiding faith. I want to encourage you. Make some changes. If you want to go to heaven and you want to be with God one day, you're going to need a strong faith that will carry you through the tough times in this life. If we could pray with you and for you today, please come.